Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and all major podcast providers. So if you can't catch the show live, you can download it or simply use our free podcast player, which is available on our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to connect with us, please post your question on our wall on Facebook or send me a tweet at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's Finest Naturally, authentic pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at OrganicUniverse.com. Listeners of The Organic View can receive $1 off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. On today's show, Ricky Heller will be my guest today to talk about a subject that many of you have written to me about, seeking information as well as recipes. I'm talking about candida-related complex. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Ricky Heller. Good afternoon, Ricky, and thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Ricky, to a certain degree, I feel like you wrote this book for me. (laughs) This is really a very comprehensive guide for helping people deal with candida. I'm so so glad to hear that. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, before we begin, can you please share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your health was impacted by candida? Sure. I mean, I suspect now when I think about it that this all started even in childhood. But because I grew up over the years, I was a kid who loved sweet things, ate a lot of sugar. We, I grew up in a, in a baking household, I, I call it. And so that's one of the main sort of underlying factors. But I also had a lot of the other risk factors. For instance, I was on antibiotics as a teenager for acne. Um, and I had a lot of yeast infections. I ate sugars. I, I ate junk food. I had digestive issues. So a lot of things that contributed, I think, in the past to my ending up with candida-related syndrome. And throughout my 30s and 40s, I had really an array of symptoms that, in retrospect, I see were related to this and kind of warning signals. And really what happened was I got sicker and sicker over the years until I think things reached ahead in my 40s where I was beset with repeated really horrible sinus infections. And it took me, I would say, at least a year to find a physician who recognized what was going on and diagnosed candida and began treatment. And so around 1999, that was the first time I went on the anti-candida diet and things cleared up and it was fabulous. And then when I had a bit of a relapse, I decided to study holistic nutrition so I could find out more about why, what was I eating, what was I doing that was contributing to this because I just wanted to feel better. And I ended up doing the protocol again and staying on the diet again. And that time, I really felt that I had cleared things up completely. But of course, I didn't. It took me three three tries to get there. (laughs) So now uh, now I'm on what I call uh, anti-candida for life. It's just a lifestyle. And this is, I know this is the way I'll just live for the rest of my life. But you know something, you're not sick, you're happy, you're healthy, and more importantly, everything that you've experienced has led you to not only write this book, Living Candida Free, Conquer the Hidden Epidemic That's Making You Sick, 100 Recipes in a Three-Stage Program to Restore Your Health and Vitality, but you're also here. So you're able to share your wisdom and your own personal experiences with many other people who I know will benefit. I know myself, I've had so much wrong information given to me 
and also information that was very upsetting. The first time that I had any type of issue where I thought it might be candida-related, the feedback that I got was, oh, my goodness, you know, you're probably going to be a diabetic. And that just really set me off. It's very upsetting when people tell you things and they make all these, they diagnose you when they don't have the appropriate information nor are trained to do so. Yeah, and that's really interesting that people would make that assumption. I mean, of course, these are both issues that have to do with blood sugar balance. And, you know, one of the the main symptoms of candida-related complex is overwhelming sugar cravings. But in my case, for instance, my mom was a type 2 diabetic and for her whole, most of her life. And I never, my blood sugar levels always tested fine when I went to conventional doctors. And yet I was still suffering from all these symptoms. So, you know, as you were saying, I think part of the reason I wanted to write this book was for people who are going through this at, at the moment and they may be overwhelmed, they may be hearing all different kinds of things, or even worse, they just don't know where to start. Even if they, they're working with a practitioner and they have a specific protocol already designed for them, I mean, that's that's one of the things we really wanted to do with this book is, although we offer dietary guidelines, they're not uh, prescriptive. So if you're working with a naturopath and they have a preferred diet for you that, that has worked in the past for them, you can certainly use that because the bulk of the book, apart from the recipes as you mentioned, but the bulk of the book is really strategies, guidelines, techniques for how to actually live in the real world on this diet. And that's what I wanted to offer people so they don't have to go through all of the struggles and the uncertainty that I did and sort of stumbling on tactics that worked for me now that I know this and now that I've been living this way since 1999 pretty much, I wanted to share that with other people so they don't have to go through that themselves. And, and you know, as they say, why reinvent the wheel? And, folks, I'd just like to make a comment that the recipes that are in this cost-effective and very easy to make. That's as great. someone who – I, I taught culinary arts for many years, and I, I was really impressed with the ease – and also the economics mm-hmm. when it comes to many of the recipes that you offer. And two of the recipes, actually three of the recipes, will be available in the companion article to this interview on theorganicview.com, along with Ricky's information and how you can connect with her on social media. Before we go any further, Ricky, can you explain to our listeners how candida is manifested in the body and Also, can you explain what are some of the common symptoms? Absolutely. And I think even just at the forefront, I want want to distinguish between what allopathic or conventional medicine refers to as candida. And in fact, I like this distinction because it's even pronounced differently. If you go to a conventional doctor, they're going to call it candida, and alternative practitioners will call it candida. And so candidiasis, which is the infection that an allopathic or regular doctor would refer to, is a very, very serious condition. It's an infection of the bloodstream, and if you get the candida organism, which is a form of yeast, if you get that in your bloodstream, you need imminent treatment. It's a critical situation. You could die. What we're talking about in the alternative world is an overgrowth of that same organism, but it's much more related to the digestive tract and how that has an impact on the rest of the body. So candida albicans, or or candida, um, is an organism that lives normally in harmony with all the other microorganisms in your microbiome, which is just another way of referring to uh, kind of the internal terrain in your digestive system. So if you think of it as like your internal ecosystem, 
it's surprising to learn that there are 10 times as many microorganisms that live all the time normally in our in our internal ecosystem than there are cells in our own body. So there are more of them than there are uh, cells from us. And it's just this lovely little neighborhood where everyone gets along, you know. But um, one of the analogies that I really like is by Dr. Michael Levin, who's written a book on candida, and he calls candida the dandelions of the intestinal tract. And by that, he, he's referring to the, the fact that if you think of a garden, a healthy yard, it's lush, it's green, you might see, you know, a little speck of a dandelion here or there in a healthy yard, but because it's overall healthy, it's going to keep those weeds in check. But if something happens to upset the balance, so you know, if there's a drought or if there's a, a monsoon or something like that, and suddenly the grass is not healthy anymore, the dandelions are going to take over. And we saw a perfect a visual example of this. I, I'll never forget when Toronto, where, where I live in the Toronto area, um, pesticides were banned in public parks. And within a month, our park land went from green to yellow because the dandelions just took over. Well, that's what candida can do. If there's an upset in the balance, in the normal balance, Candida is very opportunistic, and it will just grow and proliferate out of control. And there are many things that can cause that to happen, and we can talk about that a bit further. I think that was one of your other questions. But once that happens, there are consequences to your digestion. There are consequences to everything because your digestive tract really is the seat of your immune system. Seventy percent of your immune cells are located in the digestive tract. So if the balance in there is upset, you're going to feel it in the rest of your body. And that's where you start getting all these other symptoms that are related to candida. So really, candida itself isn't a particular illness. It's really a consequence of something else having gone wrong first, I think. So it's more an effect than a cause. Um, and then we have all those symptoms that can happen. So because it's a fungus and a yeast, it's you, you, the things that you would normally associate with yeast those kind of illnesses are all symptoms of candida. So for women, vaginal yeast infections, in my 30s, I just I couldn't get rid of them, and that was my first sign that something was wrong. But any other yeast illnesses. So um, we often think of thrush, oral thrush in babies, you know, where they get that, that white coating on the tongue. Lots of adults with candida-related complex have thrush as well, and they can't, they can't seem to eradicate it. You can have uh, fungal infections of the toenails a lot of people have, or athlete's foot, jock itch is another one that's fungal-related. And then what happened to me, as I know you read the book, was a rash. I had a candida or, or a fungal rash on my chest that literally nothing could get rid of. Uh, we threw every cream we could find, you know, the doctors could find at it, and nothing could get rid of that. So that, those are related symptoms. And then some of the ones that you might not normally associate with yeast or fungus is what I had as well, which were sinus infections. And it's recently apparently been suggested that up to 93% of sinus infections are actually fungal-related. So that's kind of surprising because we throw antibiotics at them. And in fact, if they are fungal-related, that, that's the exact wrong thing to do because the antibiotics will wipe out your good bacteria and allow that candida to grow. Um, so Very interesting. Yeah. So those are some of the other symptoms and, of course, a lot of digestive upset because everything in that microbiome has now been set off balance and that interferes with your digestion as well. Thank you. Now, you mentioned yeast infections and just issues that many women have. Is it possible that 
you can exacerbate any pre-existing conditions with candida through intimacy. Actually, yes, it is. And the interesting thing is that with men, often there are no external symptoms. Of, you know, with a woman, you have a yeast infection. And any woman who's had a yeast infection knows there are symptoms and there, there, visu- you know, there are visible manifestations of this as, as well as all the discomfort. But with men, it could look totally normal on the outside. They could, they could have normal skin on their penis and they just don't know they have it. But what's happening in cases like that often is it's being passed back and forth. So again, when I was um, married and I was having all these problems with yeast infections, we didn't realize that my husband was reinfecting me because we didn't know that he was, it's almost like he was a carrier of of, um, candida without showing any symptoms himself. So the next time that happened, with the help of my holistic MD, what we did was we treated him as well. And it's simple treatment, the same thing you do for a woman, whatever form of you know anti-candida cream you use or whatever you buy here in Canada, it's over the counter. We can just buy those creams. And we just used it on him and then everything was fine. Another question that's very interesting, and this has been coming from my listeners, is what is the connection between mercury fillings and candida? Well, I think that's a really interesting connection because oftentimes with people who have done everything right on the anti-candida protocol, so um, I I have a friend, for instance, who was on the diet and 100%, like no cheating, and still wasn't getting better. And so ultimately what happens after you've done everything that you can do, if you don't see any progress, mercury fillings are often one of the things that are examined after that to, to ensure that that's not the issue. Because apparently candida does feed on mercury. So as long as the mercury fillings are there, it's getting its food and it can continue to grow and it can continue to proliferate. And what happens very often is if people who have mercury fillings or, um, or amalgam fillings have them removed, then their symptoms do begin to resolve. And sometimes it's very sudden. It's, it's, it's a, a really clear connection in some people. Once they remove the mercury, they're, they're free of candida as well. So, yeah, it's very interesting how that works. There seems to be a, a symbiotic relationship between candida and, and the fillings. I know I have mercury fillings that were put in when I was a kid. And so just reading through your book, Living Candida Free, I was really taking a look at the things that could exacerbate any existing issues with candida and one of the things that I looked at was my dietary intake mm-hmm. and because you you begin by talking about the sinus infections which I've had for many many years but mm-hmm. primarily associated them to be something that was caused by environmental issues but now I'm taking a closer look at some of the foods that I do eat and am going to actually revisit what I'm consuming. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, can you talk about the digestive system itself and why is chewing your food so incredibly important? Sure. And I mean, people with candida um, will will have digestive issues because what's happening, and I'm just going to take a step back before I talk about the chewing, what's happening is that the candida is often responsible for a condition called leaky gut, and so the 
organism is literally burrowing through the intestinal lining and creating microscopic holes in the intestinal lining. And I, I'm going to give you a really simplistic uh, version of how this works, but this is how I learned it in school and how I, I like to explain it in a way that's visually clear. So if you think of the entire digestive tract as being lined with a very fine mesh or fine fishnet, and those spaces are calibrated perfectly to allow the um, the molecules that we want to go through into the bloodstream, which will nourish us. So when you break down carbs, when you break down fat, when you break down proteins, ultimately they're broken down to single molecules that are are supposed to be in our blood and that nourish us, like the amino acids and the triglycerides and the glucose. But what happens with the candida, once it has these root-like tentacles and it starts to grow and it punctures the intestinal lining, in my mind, I envision this as a fishnet that has holes in it. And so those holes are now much larger than the normal size of the fishnet holes, and it's allowing only partially digested food to get through instead of completely digested food. So it, it hasn't been broken down enough. And, of course, once those partially digested proteins get through into the bloodstream, your immune system is immediately going to recognize them and say, wait, this isn't supposed to be here, and it's going to react the same way it would to any invader. So it could, you know, the way your immune system would react to an infection or, or a poison. And that's where you get inflammation, and that's where you get problems with digestion. So if you're chewing your food properly, which is usually way more than any of us ever would think to chew our food, What's happening is you're actually pre-digesting it to some extent because your salivary amylase, which is the um, enzyme in your saliva, is starting to break down that food so that by the time it reaches the digestive tract, it's already been broken down more than it, it would have been otherwise, and so there's less chance of you having these um, partially digested particles get through. However, once the leaky gut exists, you really do have to work on healing the leaky gut before digestion returns to normal. Even if you chew your food well, that's only part of the digestive tract. You still have to take care of the intestinal tract as well. Thank you. One of the things that you talk about is the importance of eating cabbage. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I love cabbage. I don't eat it as much as I should, but why is cabbage key? Cabbage is so important, and I do love it too now, in, in two forms actually. So raw cabbage is great for healing leaky gut and healing the intestinal tract. And in fact, one of the things I learned when I was in nutrition school is that it can help to heal ulcers as well. So if you have any kind of issues with your digestion, cabbage or cabbage juice in particular can be really, really soothing and really, really healing. So it's a very, very healthful food that way. But the other way that cabbage plays a role with candida, and it's very important, is in uh, sauerkraut, naturally fermented sauerkraut. So one of the things that we recommend is lacto-fermented sauerkraut, which is, if you think of this sort of old-fashioned, traditional way of making sauerkraut, usually just with salt and water, and you allow it to sit on the counter, and it just ferments naturally. And the reason why that's so important is because what's happening is it's producing probiotic cultures that way. And, and if you think of, you know, the live cultures in yogurt, probiotics, mm. it's, a, it's a similar, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar concept where you have these live bacteria that are actually healthful. And, you know, as you're killing off the candida in your system, what you want to do is reintroduce those bacteria that once things were out of balance, you lost a lot of that bacteria. Now that the candida is taking a hike, you want to return that bacteria to the intestinal tract where it should rightfully be. And sauerkraut is one way of doing it. 
And so, yeah, we do have a, um, a recipe for sauerkraut in the book, which is super, super easy to make at home if you've never tried it. And some people who don't like sauerkraut do like the lacto-fermented kind that you make at home because I find it has a slightly different taste. It's a little milder, and the cabbage softens up a little bit more. I'm just in love with it. I, I eat it literally every day. I eat some form of, of sauerkraut. You also mention a couple of other foods, such as pumpkin seeds and psyllium husks. Yes. Can you explain why they play such a, a key role? Yeah, well, pumpkin seeds have actually been shown to be antiparasitic, so they can help to kill those critters in the digestive system. Oftentimes with candida, there seems to be a sort of correlation between people who have candida-related complex, so they have the candida organism and various kinds of parasites. And so it's one of the other things that people look for if on an anti-candida diet isn't getting better fast enough is perhaps a co-infection, parasitic co-infection. But yeah, so pumpkin seeds are really great for fending off the parasites. And they're also very high in zinc, which is um, an essential nutrient for a proper immune function. So of course you want to strengthen your immune system when you're fighting something off like this, and pumpkin seeds can help to do that as well. So um, we talk about soaking them, but any way that you can get them into your system is great. And then the other one was the psyllium husk, which um, I wasn't familiar with in, under that name, but you, you probably now, now that you've seen in the book, psyllium is the ingredient in Metamucil, if you've heard of that. <laughs> and so <Yes. laughs> it's a, a plant that is very high in water-soluble fiber, just like Metamucil, and it will absorb an awful lot of liquid. And if you just use it on its own, like I, I use it in my baking now because when you add liquid to it, it, it plumps up and becomes very gel-like. And so it makes a great binder for gluten-free baking, which is what I do. Interesting. Yeah, I love it. And so a lot of people, you know, the the common binder for gluten-free baking is xanthan gum, but a lot of people don't like that. So psyllium makes a wonderful substitute. But the other beauty of psyllium is it kind of acts like a brush in the intestinal tract and brushes away the debris. So it, it bulks up your stool and helps to eliminate the toxins on its way out because it will bring the toxins out with it in the stool. So for for that purpose, it's really great. Uh, to help with the detoxification process when you're on an anti-candida diet, too. That reminds me of chia. Chia has that has a similar property as well. Absolutely. Yeah, they're very, very similar in terms of that function. Uh, chia has more many more nutrients than psyllium. Psyllium is just a fiber, whereas chia is the whole seed, usually. You bite as the whole seed. And so it also has omega-3s and protein, so you, I, I use both of them. I think both of them are really good addition to an anti-candida diet. And I love chia tea. It tastes delicious. You also recommend a number of highly alkaline foods. Could you just elaborate a little bit for our listeners? Sure. So, again, what, what you're trying to do in general is starve away the candida at the same time feeding the good stuff. So because candida thrives in an acidic environment, on the acid-alkaline balance. I mean, our bodies are meant to be a little bit more alkaline, and the blood is just naturally always hovering somewhere between 7.35 and 7.45 on the acid-alkaline scale, which is just slightly alkaline because anything over 7 is alkaline, anything under is acidic. Well, what happens with so many of us is that with a standard North American diet, you're eating what are really acid-forming foods probably most of the time. So, and, of course, I always like to say it's the things that if you think of, you know, I think of my old diet, for instance, all the stuff I loved the most was the acidic food. So, you know, um, mm. sugar is number one, highly acidifying in the body. 
coffee, red meat, most animal products, all grains to some extent, except for millet, which is the only alkalizing grain. But basically, the the foods that are most alkalizing are produce, fruits and vegetables, to some extent nuts and seeds, but all of the plant-based foods. And so the more you can eat of those kinds of foods that are highly alkalizing, what you're going to do is tip the scale so that the body itself is more alkaline most of the time, and that's a very antipathetic environment for candida. So apart from killing it directly with with the antifungals and and the other methods, if you just maintain an, an alkaline environment, it's like it's going to be a neighborhood that it doesn't want to live in anymore, right? So it, it will allow the candida to dissipate that way too. It, it will just leave, and and as it dies out, you'll have less and less. So I try to have something deep green every single day, and ideally you want to do that twice. If you can have green juices, that helps a lot because that's concentrating the alkalinity. Any any fruits and vegetables, but particularly green, are the most alkalizing foods, and they're the best uh, for uh, someone with candida. Thank you. Sure. You also mentioned antifungals. What are some that you would recommend for our listeners to keep in stock? Well, I think also it depends on if you know if you're doing this diet on your own. So for a lot of people, they're trying to do it on on their own without um, prescription antifungals. But I will say that in some cases, people do need to see a healthcare practitioner and acquire prescription antifungals. Like in my case, it was so severe that we needed to do both things. So if you're looking at prescription, you know that's something you can to work it with your doctor. But there are there are antifungals out there like um, diflucan and nystatin and so on. In terms of food and supplements, there is so much that you can do on your own. Coconut is one of the the most effective antifungal foods, and so if you're a lover of coconut, to have it in any of its forms is a great way to um, fight candida. Then another one would be garlic, which is one of the natural antifungals and anti. It's it's a sort of broad spectrum antimicrobial. Keeps the vampires away too. Yes, and you know <laughs> there's a reason why we say that, right? <laughs> so that's another one. Um, as I said, the the psyllium and the chia are great because they're going to help flush out the uh, candida as it dies out as well. And then you have like a whole array of supplements. Some of the the um, common ones that are used, there's one called grapefruit seed extract. So it literally is the extract from the seeds of grapefruit. And it's a very, very bitter tasting extract. You can get it in liquid or tablet form. And I would recommend the tablet because the liquid is vile tasting. But one of the uses for the liquid, that's a wonderful way to use it, is to put a couple of drops in your water when you wash your produce when you get it home from the supermarket or the health food store, wherever you go. If you douse your apples or your greens in um, water that has maybe four or five drops of grapefruit seed extract in it, then that's going to kill any fungus on the surface of the vegetables as well. So just make them uh, more digestible for you that way. And then the other one that I like that I used quite a bit myself was golden seal, which is an herbal tincture. Golden seal cannot be taken indefinitely. It's it's a, it's actually a very strong antimicrobial in general. So um, natural healthcare practitioners will often use it for infections, um, even things like a urinary tract infection where bacteria is involved. So it's not just an antifungal, whereas grapefruit seed extract is much more of antifungal only. But um, golden seal is great. You can use it for two weeks at a time, just as you would an antibiotic, and then you need to take a break, and then you can go back on it again afterwards. But that also has been used quite effectively. And there are all kinds of supplements out there if people um, look 
for them. We we mentioned a whole bunch in the book as well. We've covered a lot of the foods that people should incorporate. What about the foods you should completely avoid? I noticed that you listed tofu as one key food that should be avoided. Avoid. So what alternatives are there for vegans? There are actually a lot of alternatives for vegans. And one of the reasons that tofu is eliminated, and I think that tofu can be a healthful food in someone with a healthy digestive tract, but it's just that one of the principles of this diet, apart from actively eliminating the excess candida, what you're also trying to do is give your immune system a break as much as possible so that it can focus on eliminating the candida. So so part one of the um, philosophies behind the diet is that you do not want to ha- have someone eating foods that are normally considered highly allergenic foods or foods that are hard to digest. And that's the reasoning behind eliminating the tofu. But, I mean, it's a great form of protein for uh, vegans, but there are many other great forms of protein. Tempeh, which is very similar to tofu, but it's naturally fermented, is perfectly acceptable because, again, that natural fermentation process to some extent pre-digests the the beans and, and the soybeans and makes them easier for you to digest. So tempeh for most people is fine. We have all the other kinds of beans and legumes that... that you could imagine there are, you know we, we we've eliminated um sweet peas simply because they're they're so high in sugar and you don't want to be feeding the sugar but apart from that i mean i have a lovely breakfast often um it's spicy fava beans egyptian fava beans it's one of my absolute favorites and it, it's ready in 10 minutes you just saute some onions and some jalapenos and garlic throw in your beans and you're done basically so beans are a terrific source of protein as are nuts and seeds so, you know, nuts and seeds, you'll see they figure prominently in a lot of the recipes as well. And so if someone's vegan, they can absolutely follow this diet. And that was something that I was really determined to ensure with this book because, again, as I was saying, when I first started, most diets will advocate a lot of animal protein because it's so low-carb and it's not going to feed the candida. But someone on a vegan diet is often told that they can't be vegan while they're on this diet. And that's I believe that's absolutely not true. That I, followed, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I followed a vegan diet. I think, you know, depending on how severe your symptoms are, as in my case, I was what I call a hard case, um, it may have taken me a little bit longer than it would have taken someone else eating animal products, but it absolutely is doable. So, And, and having said that, you don't have to be vegan, obviously, on, on this diet. The, the book, most of the strategies in the, in the book are designed for anybody. It's just simply the recipes are presented as vegan. And if you're not, if you're not before and you want to add, your your chicken or your fish or whatever, you can absolutely do so. Ricky, are there any simple tests that you could do at home to see if you have an issue with candida? And also, can you talk about your really amazing assessment that you have in the book, the yeast assessment score? Yes, sure. Thank you. I'm glad I'm glad you think that because I know Andrea put a lot of work into that and she uses that in her practice as well. The the yeast assessment score, so let me just say that as as far as I have been able to ascertain, there is no one 100% accurate uh, test for candida, even if you go to the lab test. You can have a blood test, you can have a stool sample, you can have a urine sample, and they all to some extent will indicate levels of candida. But because it's something that lives anyway normally in our bodies, it's always going to show up. It's just a, a matter of to what degree do you have it. So one of the tests that your um, listeners may have actually read about on the Internet because it's pretty much everywhere when you look up candida is the spit test, and it's free, and it's very easy to do. 
And that one is where uh, first thing in the morning, before you've done anything, before you've brushed your teeth, before you've had a sip of water, you go and you fill a glass of water half full with pure water, and then you you spit into it. You know, you get a little bit, a little ball of of spit and spit into it, and then wait approximately an hour. And you want to check it about every 15 minutes or so. And what happens is, if someone has candida you will see what they call legs growing down from the spit. So if you look at it sideways, you'll see these little root-like lines coming down. And that has been said to be a sign of candida. Now, having said that, I've used that test myself, and it has, cor- it has correlated with my symptoms and, and whether or not I've thought I had candida at the time or been told I had candida at the time. But I know that there's at least one um, candida expert out there who says that test isn't entirely accurate because it can also show other microorganisms. So it might be a sign of candida. It might be a sign of something else. I found for me it was fairly accurate and it did correspond with what was going on with me at the time. So it's certainly something that people can try. It will tell you something's up for sure. You may not know 100% that it's candida. And that's where I would say go to something like our assessment on top of that and that will help you decide a clinical assessment in terms of your symptoms overall. And I have found that most naturopaths, that's what they do. Although they have the tests available to them, they find it it much more effective to use an assessment like that where you ask a person a lot of questions about their background, their symptoms, and all the different factors that might contribute. And depending on the result of that assessment, you get an idea of how severe the candida is or whether it exists there or or not. Uh, and I find in general it's usually best to go back to the person who knows their own body best and how they feel is your number one test of whether things are going well or not going well. Ricky, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to you and just learning so much from you. I kind of feel to a certain degree I had a great deal of information about Candida, but after reading your book, Living Candida Free, I'm now taking another inventory as far as what I'm consuming and also foods that perhaps I really should avoid because at this particular point, I don't have any issues. But once again, following a a diet that is more proactive and will prevent some of these issues is really what we should strive for. Absolutely. And it's a healthful diet for anybody, whether or not they have candida, right? So absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ricky, before you go, can you share with the listeners your website information? Yes, absolutely. I'm at rickyheller.com, and Ricky is spelled R-I-C-K-I-H-E-L-L-E-R.com. And you'll find um, all kinds of information about Candida there. I have a Candida FAQ page, and I have a link to my course, uh, the Candida Kickstart, which is it, it works in conjunction with the book in that it's meant for people who are just starting the diet, and I try to help ease you into this sometimes restrictive diet in a way that feels good. Thank you. I really hope you come back at some point to continue the discussion. I, I don't think that this is a topic that is should be just talked about once. I think it's something that people need to be reminded of. And also, there's so many people that are constantly learning about candida. I don't think that there's enough information out there. So I hope to have you back at some point. I would love to. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. And folks, please pick up a copy of Living Candida Free, Conquer the Hidden Epidemic That's Making You Sick, 100 Recipes and a Three-Stage Program to Restore Your Health and Vitality. 
It's available wherever books are sold, or you could just simply go to Amazon.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.